So uh, what Patience and Lucy just read for us, which was our Advent reading, actually is our text that we're going to be in this morning studying as well. So that's why I'm going to jump uh, right in to the sermon. Um, And we said this last week as we kind of launched into Advent, these Advent sermons are really going to be looking at different reactions that people in the story had to Christ's first coming and how these stories help prepare us as those who wait, and Scripture says we actually groan for the second coming of Christ. That we're those, if you're a believer, oh, my goodness, <laughs> I did it again! K-2, through Zach and Polly, thank you. Wow. Yeah, I'm just going to take a moment and pray for myself, deal with the shame that I'm feeling right now. <laughs> if you're a believer... Uh, you are right now, whether you, you're aware of it or not, you're living between the first and second coming of Christ, between the two advents. So these stories help us really lean in and say, where does Jesus come to us right now through these accounts? Where's he meeting me right now? Where does this challenge me or where does this encourage me? Where does this direct us? Where does this awaken us to those who are awaiting his return, Okay. So last week, we actually looked at this very same passage. There were three kind of main characters in this passage other than Jesus. Herod, the chief priest and teachers of the law, and then who we're going to look at today, the Magi. Last week, we looked at Herod and the chief priests and teachers of the law and their response to the birth of Christ. How did they respond to this baby who was born, remember, born king of the Jews? Not born to be king. He was born king. For Herod... And for the chief priests and for the teachers of the law, it was a threat. It was a threat to their control. It was a threat to their power. It was a threat to their rule, right? They were at the center. And Jesus was coming and actually moving them out of the center. And they saw Jesus as a threat to their own influence, to their own control. And that's what sin does, right? Sin puts us at the center and puts God and other people at the margin. So we, we saw that Jesus comes, and if we're seeing Jesus for who he truly is at Christmas time, there's a part of us that invited us to examine, where's the Herod in us? Where's the chief priest and teacher in the laws? Where is Jesus kind of coming in and saying, hey, I want to threaten your little kingdom, but not because I'm mean, but because I actually want to liberate you to live not at the center of your life, to live as the sons and daughters of a king, not as king. Well, this week in the Magi story, overlaps Herod and the chief priests and teachers of the law, their response is really different than Herod and the chief priests and teachers of the law. Instead of seeing Jesus as a threat, we see them drawn to worship him, and they set out on this adventure, really, at great cost to themselves and on an astrological hunch to find this baby born king of the Jews. So two things in kind of preparing us to come to the table this morning. First one is this. Who's seeking who in this story? I want us to think about that. Who actually is seeking who? And secondly, uh, letting Jesus be the star of our story. Okay? So first thing, who's seeking who? And then secondly, letting Jesus be the star of our story. Who's seeking who? Now, Probably many of you have seen this on a bumper sticker somewhere or some placard around Christmas time or someone posted it on social media. It says, what, wise men still seek him, right? Are you going to be a wise man, right? Are you going to still seek him like the wise men did? 
We've all seen that before. And although that it is true that these men do, in fact, go on a journey to seek Jesus out, I think what's harder to see in this story, and hopefully we will as we study it here, what's harder to see or very easy to overlook is that God was actually seeking them out first in this account. And that their actions, what they were doing, was actually in response to God's move towards them, not vice versa. God seeks them out, not vice versa. That is the message, that's the story. We could, I guess we could just end the sermon and say, come to the table. That's the message of the Magi, is that God is the one seeking them out. Matthew's account, you know, the, all the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, some of the stories overlap in all of those Gospels, but Matthew is the only person who chooses to tell this story of the Magi, to put this in his account of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, right? And we all, we believe this, Scripture says this, it's all Scripture is God-breathed, it's, it's, it's inspired, it was authored by people who were being carried along by the Holy Spirit. So why does Matthew, we should, we should stop and ask this question, why does Matthew, if the other guys, you know, Mark, Luke, John, decide not to focus on this, why is Matthew focusing on this, and why does God want this in Scripture for us? What's, what's the message here? So who are these, these magi, these wise men? The first thing we see in the scripture here is that they weren't kings. Like you've probably all sang this song at this time of the year, We Three Kings, you know, from, is it Orient Far? Something like that, yeah. We're not going to sing it this morning, all right? Yeah, they're not kings, and there wasn't just three of them. We think of the three gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, myrrh. And we kind of always in the pageants, maybe you've been to a Christmas pageant, it's three of them, right? But there weren't just three of them. They were un, they're unsure of how many there were, but there were more than three of them. They weren't Jews, like the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Who they were is they were Persian ancient scholar philosophers who were students of astrological realities, which in that day and in that time was a very respected and very revered kind of pre-scientific way of understanding the world and making meaning of its events. These were, these were the it thinkers of the day. They were the wisdom hunters of the day. So when we hear astrology, we think horoscopes and like the back part of the newspaper, right? But it was much more than that. They were way more respected than that. Think like Neil deGrasse Tyson. You guys know who he is? He's an American astrophysicist and, and planetary scientist, a really, really remarkably genius guy who's searching out things through the stars. Think about like him mixed up with like Jordan Peterson or somebody like that, someone who's kind of wrestling with the big questions of the day. And the point is this, these guys were spiritually hungry people. Spiritually hungry people to discover meaning in life. What is this life all about? What's going on in life? And their study was way more than just the stars. Yes, this star, they say it there, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Yes, they were students of the stars. And this star that they saw, it had to be unique. They called it his star. It was unique to them. It was something that they had never seen before in the sky. But why would they have associated that, this unique celestial event with this prophecy in the Jewish scriptures about a coming king? Why would that have been? Well, at the time, 
this is a little bit of history about Magi and even what was going on at the world time. At the time, linking stars to kings coming and or dying was in vogue. Having a unique kind of celestial event to mark that was something that they had experienced before. When Julius Caesar died, there was a supernova, and through that and some other serious events like that, it became kind of common acceptance that when a king was coming or a king was dying, that it was actually going to show up in the sky. So that was something that, that was kind of commonplace accepted. Like this, this happens when something like this is happening, when someone significant is coming. But still, what about this, this prophecy in the Jewish scriptures about a king? They saw this unique celestial event, but they, they come and say, where is this one who's been born king of the Jews? How did they know about that? That couldn't just come from their study of the stars. Maybe they saw a star in the sky and said, okay, something, something significant is going on. A king must have died or a king must be born. But they knew about this king born to the Jews. They must have had some exposure I mean, a lot of guys have, the amount of writing that's been done on this to try to, like, figure out exactly what they knew, right? They must have had some exposure to what we now know as the Old Testament. They must have had some exposure, scholars believe this, to things that were really back in the time of Daniel, when Daniel, if you remember, Daniel was appointed to this really significant position in Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. This is back when Back when we were talking about Nehemiah, when the Jews were in the exile, Daniel, who was carried off into the exile, he was appointed to this very influential position, elevating him to incredible influence to the point to where he was literally declared, I think along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these were the wisest people in all of Babylon. They had a huge influence over the thinking of the day in Babylon. So Daniel, being Jewish and devout and being committed to the Lord, a lot of commentators believe this. I believe this, that Daniel would have brought, at least through his position, some kind of Jewish influence, or at least some kind of some kind of prophetic awareness to the Babylonians and the Persians about this king that was going to be coming, this king of the Jews that was going to be a king above all kings, and that all the kings of the earth one day would bow down to. Listen to what Daniel says, because Daniel, you remember Daniel? He was the dream interpreter, right? Nebuchadnezzar would have a really crazy dream, and then he'd call on Daniel, and Daniel would, like, nail it. And everybody's like, whoa. Like, he's, got, he's the dream catcher, right? He's got the juju, <laughs> and he can explain what's going on. He, everyone was looking at Daniel and saying, you can explain and give meaning to others' dreams and even to your own. We're listening to you. That's who God elevated to a position of leadership in Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, and this is what Daniel wrote. He said this in Daniel 7. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is everlasting his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Boom, mic drop, right? Daniel was saying that way back in the days of Nebuchadnezzar, way back in the days, as a wise man of Babylon, was prophesying about this day that would come and a king that would come like this, that all nations and every language would worship 
he would have an eternal and everlasting dominion. His kingdom would never be destroyed. Now, obviously, the wise men that we're talking about, we just read about Matthew, these wise men were not around in the time of Daniel. Remember, there was like 400 years of silence from the end of the Old Testament to the New. 400 years of silence, but they were, these wise men were in the line of these very Persian wise men that were in the time of Daniel. They were like the fraternity brothers, right? They would have grown up in that school of training. So they had to have at least heard or been exposed to this history of the Jews, the history of the Jewish exiles, the dreams, the prophecies of Daniel, and also probably a lot of other prophetic passages. There's places in Numbers, in Psalms, in Isaiah, in Micah that all talk about this star and about a king that is to be born, the one who is to come. And they had at least enough kind of cobbled together that when this star was in the sky, this unique star, it was enough of an impetus to get them moving and say, I'm going to go see for myself. Now, why do I give you all of that that way? What, why I give that to you that way is this. Do you see how, how much of a long shot this still is? Like, wise men still seeking, right? Like, were these the guys who just were so sharp that they, they cracked the code, that they put it all together perfectly, and they knew exactly what it was that they were doing? Where, I mean, they're spiritually hungry. Obviously, they're taking this journey. But where did this spiritual hunger come from? Like to travel based on a star and some things that we heard that were kind of in the history from all these years ago, and maybe this could be this, and we're kind of playing Clue and piecing it all together. I mean, the other day, I had an opportunity to go fishing, and I had done a little bit of research, and I knew the place that I was going to go fishing would have produced fish, and I still didn't go. And it was a 30-minute drive because I was like, eh, I just don't know if it's going to be worth it. Oh, I didn't, I didn't go 30 minutes based on like, I'm not really sure I got enough information that it's really going to deliver. Yet these guys go. Why is Matthew making this point? What's the point for us? Because remember, there's a whole other group of people, this chief priest and the teachers of the law, they would have been experts in the stuff that these guys were novices in. They would have been experts in the law, studied, devoted, in the matters about this prophecy and this king that would be to come and this star, and they don't go. What's the point? The point is this. What God is saying through these magi is this. I am the one who is authoring their spiritual hunger, their curiosity. And here's what I'm doing. Here's who I'm saving I am breaking into time, space, eternity and taking on flesh to save the world. And who I'm going to use to announce that, I'm going to draw a bunch of pagan, pagan, foreigners, Gentiles, outsiders. Through means that are very familiar to them, astrology. But those means, those weren't practiced or respected by the Jews. In fact, they were forbidden by the Jewish people. So I'm even going to use this crazy astrological means that the Jewish people deny to have these guys 
become the first people in the history of the world to declare Jesus as king and to worship him. It says they were overjoyed. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's like hyper, hyper, hyper joy over what had happened. They're the first. They're the first to show faith. They're the first to declare him king with their lips. They're the first to worship foreign astrologers, not Jewish scholars, not theological juggernauts, just some guys loosely piecing together fragments of prophecy and history and astrology and taking a journey, not acting in absolute certainty, but acting in faith, which scripture says is what? Faith is a gift from God, not by works, lest any man can boast. It's faith. You see what this story is about, what the Magi are about, is not about their persistence. It's not about their wisdom, their ability to kind of figure it out. It's about God's wisdom. It's about what God is doing. It's about what he's declared and how he brings salvation. It's about his providence, not their persistence. God is showing in their story what's true about the story of salvation, what's true about the story of your salvation, my salvation. And it's this, I draw you to me, period. I'm the one who draws you to me. And oftentimes, I bet if we went around this room and said, hey, how'd you come to faith in Christ? How did you meet Jesus? There'd probably be some overlap, certainly. But isn't it, like when you study your own story, isn't it oftentimes through like this kind of random relationship and then this conversation and then kind of this person? Oftentimes it's unusual, circuitous, sometimes generational, oftentimes inexplicable. Like have you ever heard someone say like, I don't, you know, I don't know, I just kind of have kind of had this, I don't know if I had this like one moment. It was like this journey where God was kind of revealing himself over and over. I kind of had these like markers but ultimately, I didn't do it. He did it. He drew me to himself. These were the ones who came and worshipped a baby. <laughs> Think about that. Worshipped a baby and declared him king. So if you're in Christ this morning, I'm encouraging you, because it's real easy to kind of like, again, like with Herod and like with the priest, like, hey, this is, their story's different than my story. Even if the details are different in your story, it's no less sensational. It's no less significant. If you're in Christ, the Magi's story is our story. And that should give us great joy. Like We should be <laughs> rejoicing exceedingly with great joy as a result of this fact that our salvation, our salvation isn't dependent on our wisdom. It isn't dependent on us figuring it all out. It isn't dependent on us getting it all right, making all the right maneuvers and the right steps, cracking the code to find Jesus. Our salvation is about being drawn to Jesus by faith. And that if he isn't doing that work, we would never be able to declare him as king and never be able to worship him. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 2, or 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31 says about us. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. 
Not many were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. Who's he talking about? I mean, that's what the chief priests and the teachers of the law were, right? That's who Herod was. Wise by human standards, influential, noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You hear what he's saying? He's saying we're among the wise men. That the wisest thing, biblically, is faith in who Jesus is. And a life that acknowledges him as king and rightly worships him in response. And that we could never do that unless he drew us to himself. It is because of him that we are in Christ Jesus. And it says this, who has become for us wisdom from God, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. I wish we had more time to just preach a sermon on those three words. But let me just tell you what righteousness, holiness, and redemption. My rightness is my justification. My rightness in the world. My holiness is my sanctification. Holy means to be set apart. So what's going to make me right? What's going to set me apart? And my redemption, what's going to deliver for me? What that passage is saying, it's not just that Jesus saves you and gives you the bus ticket for eternity. He's saying that right now, practically, what he's delivered you from is from being your own righteousness, your rightness, trying to set yourself apart and trying to do something to deliver yourself and make meaning out of your life. Your life has meaning because of what he's done. Who's seeking who? Jesus is seeking us. Last thing, this leads us to the table. If that's true, would you let Jesus be the star of your story? Like I was thinking about this where it says they saw his star rising in the east. When, when someone's star is rising, and especially his star is rising, the, the invitation is always to say, whose star is higher, right? <laughs> whose star? If someone's rising higher, where, where's my star at? And we've seen here the wise men aren't the stars of the story. And that the wise men's story is really for us the story that God drew us to himself. Not by our wisdom or not by our insight or not by us figuring it out, but by his grace and his word and by faith and the movement of the Holy Spirit. And so as the star drew them and let Jesus be revealed, you know, the star revealed to them, this is who, where Jesus is, this is who he is. Along with the word, something no less supernatural has drawn us and leaded us, the very spirit of God. And so we worship him, we declare him as king by that same inviting grace as they did. That's what Titus 3, 5 says. He has saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. And so, if I'm going to let Jesus be the star of my story, 
I'm going to invite us to do something, and we do it when we come to this table. The crazy thing is this, that when we behold Jesus, because that's what the wise men were doing. They were beholding him, right? They were looking at him, seeing him for who he really was, which is what we do when we come to this table. When we behold Jesus like these wise men and worship him and declare him as king, something happens. Paul talks about it in Philippians 2. He says this, that when we hold on to the word of life or when we come to this table, we actually feed on the bread of life. That's what Jesus calls himself. When we hold on to the word of life, he says this, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You hear that? You become the star. But you're not the star as in you're the star in the center of the story. Right? He becomes the star of our stories He becomes what we boast in. We shine. And what we shine is we shine him. Matthew 5, 14 says that we become a city. As a a community, we become a city on a hill. Jesus says in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. He's not saying that you're the star of the show. He's saying that I am the star and that my brightness literally begins to reflect through your life And you become the ambassadors of a different king and a different kingdom. You are billboards. I am a billboard, a lighthouse of his grace and his mercy to the world around us. Why? Because the world around us is spiritually hungry. And God, by his sovereignty and his providence, has decided this. I'm going to work through my kids to bring other people into the family. Do you know that's his call on your life? That there are spiritually hungry people all around us looking for the wisdom of the age. I mean, I know I'm 46 now, but I don't know if there's ever been a season where I would say there's more spiritually curious and confused people in this world. It's a spiritually curious time and a spiritually confused time. Many spiritually hungry people looking for kind of what's that next star that's going to rise and is going to give meaning and give purpose to my life. And we sit in this room, if you're in Christ, and we know what it is. We know who will give them that meaning and that purpose, that peace, that assurance, and it's Jesus. Jesus shining through us. So let's come to the table because, like the wise men, they didn't get overjoyed until they saw him we come to the table and he says i want you to do this often in remembrance of me because at this table we proclaim something and we remember something we remember what he did that he wasn't just a king that came to kind of establish a nationalistic rule he came to die to set us free from the king that sat on every human heart persian or jew which was sin sin sat on the heart he's saying i'm coming to liberate you from that king and so this meal It's a place where we are reminded and we have our hearts strengthened to remember what he has done for us to be restored to the joy of our salvation. So if you're in Christ this morning, if you've received him as your Savior and Lord, you run to this table and you feed, you eat, you behold him. And when you leave this table, hopefully your experience of Jesus at this table will make you shine, right? Shine to a spiritually hungry world. But Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians that if you're not in Christ, hold off, because this table is for those, it's a meal for those that have declared him as Lord, who have said, I needed him to come. I needed him, his life, his death, his resurrection. 
so that I could be righteous, so that I could be holy, so that I could be redeemed. So if you're not in Christ, I'd encourage you, come to faith in him. Let's have a conversation about him before you come to the table that declares that that's who he is in your life. And Paul also invites us to examine. And I was thinking about this. I'm not really exactly sure. I'm just going to trust the Lord's going to examine your heart in whatever way he needs to examine your heart this morning. But he basically says, don't come to this table lightly. Come to this table in a way that really is wrestling with the fact of the, the reality that it, it wasn't me that earned this table. It was him that drew me to this place, all right? So I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians, words of institution here for the table. And then a couple of our leaders here are going to be up here ready to serve you. When you're ready, put out your hands. Uh, this isn't fast food, right? You can, you can linger at the table. It's a great time to pray. It's a great time to ask the Lord, Lord, will you reveal yourself to me? If you need prayer, please cross your arms. Somebody would be happy to stop and pray for you. Uh, there is gluten-free. We've brought it back. Uh, I know there have been some people who, who have wanted that. It's over here, so to your right, my left, uh, if you come forward. Uh, and when you're done, just kind of exit down the sides. There's trash cans for your cups. So I'm going to read this. This is from 1 Corinthians 11, and then we'll come to the table. For I received from the Lord... What I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, uh, we come to your table. Uh, thank you um, that you use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And in some ways, this is just it's a foolish story. That you came as a baby <laughs> and that you used uh, these astrological um, guys to be the first to declare you king. Uh, Lord, would we, would we see ourselves in this story? Would we realize that our story is no less different, uh, that you had to work profoundly to draw us to yourself? And would you do that now? Draw us to, to you at, at your table. We love you. In your name, amen.